Welcome to episode 116 of the Search with Candor podcast, recorded on Saturday the 19th of June 2021. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and loads to talk to you about today. We're going to be looking at the new Search Console Insights that's now available as part of Google Search Console, how Google's taken a machete to the FAQs in their search results, the Google Shopping Graph announced at Google I.O. if you haven't caught that yet, and we'll be talking a little bit more about the June core update winners and losers that we've been seeing. Before we kick off, I'd like to tell you this podcast is very kindly sponsored by our friends at Sightbulb. If you haven't heard of it, Sightbulb is a desktop-based Windows and Mac SEO auditing tool. I've used it for several years now, pretty much as long as it's been out. Um, we use it at the agency as well. It's an absolutely fantastic piece of software. Um, I use it on pretty much every client I have contact with. And Every week I kind of talk about something special that Sightbulb does or a feature that's helped me out. And this isn't cheating because I've talked about this before, which is that you can actually schedule um, audits on Sightbulb. One thing that I didn't actually know because it hadn't, I hadn't had to do it before was I was doing a project uh, last weekend where I was looking at about a dozen sites in a, in a group that were doing a migration and I needed to run audits of all of those sites. It was kind of late, getting late in the day. I needed to run JavaScript audits as well. So these audits were going to take a while. Something I didn't actually realize Sitebulb can do, apart from just scheduling them, it will actually just queue the audits as well. So I actually just put the first site in and while it was running, I put the second, third, fourth, there was 13 sites in and it just very, very easily queued it for me, which was brilliant because then I just went out, did what I was going to do, actually went to bed, woke up the next day and all the audits were there for me. So it's those kind of small details that make Sightbulb really uh, nice to work with. They've got a special offer for Search with Canda listeners. So apart from the usual free trial, you get an extended trial. So you get 60 days for free at sitebulb.com. And then you go to forward slash SWC. It's a trial that requires no payment, no credit card, anything like that. So it's no obligation. Just try it, download it. I'm sure you'll love it. Give it a go. Google has been removing FAQs from SERPs. Well, not all of them, but it has slashed the amount of frequently asked questions that are appearing directly in the search result pages. For those of you who don't know, FAQ page schema has been away now for quite a while that SEOs and webmasters have been able to mark up the questions and answers on their page so that they show directly in the search result when a user does a search. And of course, this takes up more real estate, pushing your competitors down. And this is actually likely the reason that Google has decided to take action in that SEOs have just been uh, pushing this too hard, turning it up to 11. On Thursday the 17th, Mark Barrera, an SEO at TrustRadius, tweeted, Looks like Google is restricting FAQs to only show two and no ability to see more. 
Both of these sites have more than two FAQs marked up. Seeing this change for all queries and sites, and he's given a, a screenshot he's referencing there in regard to coupons. There's quite a few people that joined in that debate, some saying they could still see more than two, um, three and four in some cases. So there's a little speculation that it might have been a US only changed. But then very helpfully, Danny Sullivan did kindly come down from the palace and tell us that, yes, we made a change recently that limits these to two maximum, although he didn't go into why. So this is helpful maybe um, that you can know you haven't done anything wrong. So you're very likely now to have seen any FAQ listings you have got or any new ones that you get to be limited to two questions only. I personally thought they were actually quite helpful for users, the the um, the FAQ schema and having the rich result in the SERP. So I guess the bigger picture that I can't see, and obviously there is, we're only all working on our tiny, tiny little edge of the web. I guess there was a lot of spam that was going on that was tipping the scales in terms of Google considering that the overall quality has been brought down by these. So it'll be interesting to see if it does stay this way, but currently two FAQs are your max. We've got a new set of data to play with now within Google Search Console and that is Search Console Insights which is currently rolling out for everyone. So this is coming out of beta. If you log into your Google Search Console you'll likely see now a kind of a yellow bar at the top which will offer you to go into Search Console Insights. So what is it? Google describes it as Search Console Insights is a new experience tailored for content creators and publishers and can help them understand how audiences discover their site's content and what resonates with their audiences. This new experience is powered by data from both Google Search Console and Google Analytics. So you need to actually have your Google Analytics hooked up to your Search Console to get the most out of this. Interestingly, uh, I was doing some reading about this uh, about this beta and it doesn't actually support Google Analytics 4, GA4 at the moment, which I found interesting because Google's obviously been pushing that very hard. If you set up a new Google Analytics property, the default now is just Google Analytics 4. So they are working on that. It will come, but it currently only supports universal analytics installations. So how can Search Console Insights help you? Search Console Insights can help site owners, content creators and bloggers to better understand their content's performance. For instance, it can help answer the following questions. What are your best performing pieces of content? How are your new pieces of content performing? How do people discover your content across the web? What do people search for on Google before they visit your content? And which article refers users to your website and content? So if you, are, if you are an SEO, you've been working digital marketing, you've used GA, GSC before, you've probably realized there isn't actually anything new you can discover. Um, there's no new, obviously, data sources. This is just about how GSC is going to kind of pre-can and slice that data for you. And while I think this is good, so I think the target audience for this 
is actually maybe more lay users, um, as I said, content creators. So people who aren't specifically thinking about digital marketing, maybe they're not specifically thinking about SEO. So like we've seen in Google Analytics, where you can just ask analytics questions now and it kind of gives you prompts with these insights in analytics, we're seeing the same in GSC. This means you don't really need to know your way around quite so much just to pull out these uh, basic facts about your content and you know basic pieces of information that might help you do more of uh, a thing that's working. Now, with my cynic hat on, which is permanently on pretty much, one thing that does concern me because it's a trend we have seen across Google is I fear this might be the first steps in dumbing down this data so we have seen this happen, well certainly we've covered it for years now in Google Ads where we've had data, kind of raw data, slowly stripped back and replaced with more heavily processed data that's, that tells you the, the kind of insight already. So you've, you've kind of got these two situations, right, which is Google can give you raw data which you can take, you can process, you can manipulate it and you can form your own insights from that data. The other approach, um, which is probably more suitable in fairness for the majority of people, but is a lot less helpful um, for people maybe that have careers in this and it's kind of their specialism, is that they pre-package the insights for you. So you get less of the actual data, you don't get you know the actual data points you're just getting the pre-packaged here's the insight um, here's kind of the result don't don't worry about the workings now that's dangerous because you know those workings and and the machinery that goes into getting that output is all part of what we need to understand to to do marketing so I am a little bit worried as to whether we're gonna see eventually search console data be replaced with insights as we have already because we're on a still I guess it's not new but quote unquote new version of Google search console so we moved from you know webmaster tools to this version of Google search console which is different and a lot of people at that time did complain that we lost a lot of the data and reports that we used to use in webmaster tools we're kind of over I think that grumbling stage now and we've got they've met us halfway in in, in some instances but it wouldn't, you know, shock me terribly if over the next few years Google does transition once again roll to this insights platform and away from um, the kind of data we're seeing in Google Search Console. Can only hope that's not the case, but it is there now. Might be helpful, um, as I said, for maybe people who aren't quite so much into doing that analysis. So you should have access, log in, and you should see that yellow bar at the top. So go check it out. We've had a little bit longer now since the June 2021 core updates rolled out and at the beginning of this week I caught a really nice write-up again as usual by Lily Ray who had some thoughts that she shared on the core update and results we've seen and I liked this write-up particularly because it contrasts what we covered in terms of Morty's thoughts. So Morty's thoughts we covered the other week were quite qualitative in that he had looked for specific examples and deep dived down into those and um, discussed 
what he thought might be the reasons to see such fluctuations. Whereas Lily has taken an approach I've seen her take before, which is a little bit more quantitative and looks at a larger set of data. So I'll read the methodology uh, of her of her post here. So she says, our analysis of winners and losers is done by collecting the Systrix visibility index score of a given root domain between the dates of the 4th of June 2021 and the 14th of June 2021. The score is intended to reflect how well a domain ranks across Systrix index of 1 million tracked keywords in the United States. It's google.com. We then collect the category of each domain using similar web categories. This allows us to see whether changes related to the algorithm update are affecting certain categories or niches more than others. For this analysis, we collected the visibility index scores of 1,900 domains in 31 categories. We also filtered the domains to any domain with a visibility index score of over 0.25 on the 14th of June, as the domains below this amount have virtually no SEO visibility and the data is therefore not entirely reliable. So we've talked and we've 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 kind of cited Systrix uh, data before and so this is quite a nice approach of using a couple of third-party tools to get that data and uh, categorize it. Of course I will put a link to this post and all the other posts of announcements we mention on our show notes which you can find at search.withcanda.co.uk and <clears throat> just before I go into um, Lily's analysis here I'm just going to read out her disclaimer to be fair to to Lily because I know a lot of people uh, you know can pick holes in these kind of studies and approaches so the disclaimer is it's important to remember that thousands of factors are at play in the changes we see to website rankings during a core update rollout making it impossible to isolate exactly what happened or what specifically Google aimed to achieve Furthermore, the June 2021 core update will be followed by another core update in July. Very good point. Plus, the page experience update will also be launched in the coming uh, weeks. Very, very good point. Therefore, the data displayed here may change drastically as a result of those updates. Google even confirmed that in some rare cases, sites may see a complete reversal in performance between the June and July core updates. However, it can be illuminating to look at the performance of websites and categories at scale after a core update to see if any patterns exist among winning and losing websites. So with all of that in mind, I hope you can approach this uh, level-headed because there were a few things here that really interested me. So I'm not going to read out, um, go through the whole post because there's quite a lot in there and there's a lot of like tables and charts which really you'd benefit at just looking at. Um, they're quite they're quite interesting. One thing, um, yeah, that really stood out to me is that there is this very marked um, difference in visibility change by category and. The way that Lily's presented this data as well is particularly interesting because it shows how important it is to be careful about how you present data. So she's done two um, charts which chart the total average visibility change by category and the average percent visibility change by category. 
And there's, there's definite um, kind of correlations there in that some have got the highest points change and percentage change and others um, such as the travel and tourism industry have got uh, right on the far red end of the total average visibility change by category, but actually they're in the green on the average percentage visibility change and I uh, will attempt to explain why or rather attempt to explain why Lily's saying why. So the first and most obvious um, correlation that we can see here is with dictionaries and reference sites. And then he says, one of the most salient patterns from this update so far is the drastic increase in visibility seen by dictionary sites, including Wikipedia, which has seen declines with prior recent core updates. There is a prominent change in dictionary sites that indicates that Google appears to be determining that many more queries should result in dictionaries to be shown in prominent positions. And there's an example of what these changes look like on a query level for the query correctional. The California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation was replaced by dictionary.com for the number one ranking position, perhaps because Google determined that defining correctional is the main intent of most searches above looking up that of a correctional facility Interestingly, um, obviously, uh, my my agency is called Canda, and whenever you know we manage to rank organically for the top um, of, in the UK, just for the word Canda. But interestingly, Google still gives the dictionary definition of the word Canda, um, and I think it's because we we have the phrase you know duty of Canda, and it's it's not a very commonly used word. So I always find that interesting that. Google's assuming that most of the intent between people searching for a word that is our company name is people actually just want to know what the word means. And related to this, Lily's also pointed out that it's worth noting that Google edited its search quality guidelines in October of 2020, and one of the biggest changes included new language about dictionary sites and when a query should generate a dictionary result. So it's very kindly brought up this change for us um, and it says, so this is according to the search quality guidelines, Google search quality guidelines, when assigning needs met ratings for dictionary and encyclopedia results. And <clears throat> when I say here, when assigning needs met ratings, we are now talking about these Google quality guidelines are for their search quality raters. So these are the people who are essentially taking um, taking sites and queries and manually kind of grading how well they match that query. And this is something Google does not to directly impact their algorithm, but check how their algorithms are performing. So hopefully that will make more sense than if it didn't. When assigning needs met ratings for dictionary and encyclopedia results, careful attention must be paid to the user intent. Like all results, the helpfulness of dictionary and encyclopedia results depend on the query and user intent. Dictionary and encyclopedia results may be topically relevant for many searches, but often these results are not helpful for common words that most people in your um, rating locale already understand. <clears throat> Reserve high needs met ratings for dictionary and encyclopedia results when the user intent for the query is likely what is it or what does it mean and the result is helpful for users seeking that type of information. So I think that's a really good point that they've tweaked that um, 
kind of reference dictionary wording in their quality rated guidelines. So obviously I think there was maybe a mismatch between what they were steering people to rate and what users actually wanted. Now I mentioned between the two charts that was posted, that Lily posted between um, the average visibility change and the percentage change, we saw this difference in the tourism category. And this falls um, mainly on the neck of TripAdvisor, which lost a pretty eye-watering 75.59 uh, visibility points since the update was launched, um, which, which is a lot. And Lily says, looking closely at keyword movement, it appears that TripAdvisor saw some declines for keywords where an official travel destination website took its place such as, she's given a below example for the query whitewater rafting, where TripAdvisor was pushed from position three to page two, which, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty massive. So we seem to have um, a kind of a higher diversity of different travel domains now. So that's why we see the difference in those two charts. Um, other interesting things I picked up from um, this post that they did was, um, what we'll just call refreshes, which is essentially these these bounce backs. So this was noted a few times in this report. So the business and finance websites, um, there appeared to have been a significant impact on this algorithm update um, in terms of biggest winners and losers. But interestingly, um, there was a significant increase for the domain debt.org um, because it had massive declines in visibility late 2020, so possibly the December core update. And it's one of several sites seeing that pattern, such as parenting.com, livestrong.com, and others. So again, this is something we saw even in the March 2020 update um, between core updates, which is sometimes when we do have these drastic impacts, especially on big sites, sometimes we see them reversed, I guess, as Google's maybe just fine tuning um, the kind of the outcome that they wanted. So again, it's hard for them to actually decide whether it was something that they did in the meantime, because I'm sure, you know, these big sites that lose big chunks of traffic are all very hard at work trying to work out exactly what it is that they did wrong and how they can fix it or how they can improve things. And then it comes back and it, to be honest, may not have been anything that they did. Um, and lastly, um, something I thought was really interesting here was um, a, a tweet that Lily highlighted from Glenn Gabe asking this to Danny Sullivan from Google. Hi Danny, do you know if there was a refresh of the product reviews update, maybe when the June Broadcore update rolled out? I'm seeing sites impacted by the product review update with a lot of movement during the June core update. Or is this just more from the June core update? Thanks for any info, etc. And Danny confirmed that changes you're seeing around the core update are almost certainly related to that. So just to make muddy the waters even more, it does look like the big changes we saw in the product review update are somehow um, connected, maybe not even directly to the June core update because we've seen the same sites um, maybe gaining lots of visibility and then suddenly losing it or vice versa. So super, super interesting and that will continue to kind of work its way through the affiliate space as well.
One of the things bubbling away at Google that has been fairly easy to miss, especially with all of the core updates, page experience updates, product review updates and such that are happening, is Google's shopping graph. And that is because there aren't a huge amount of details available on it yet. It was spoken a little bit about um, at Google I.O. So it was mentioned in uh, Lily's write-up she did on the June Core 2020 update. So I thought I would just quickly go over the post that Google released about it in May as quite a few of the people I've spoken to hadn't heard of it yet. So as usual, I'll link to this post in the show notes at search.withcalendar.co.uk. And this post was written on May the 18th by Bill Reedy, who's the president of commerce and payments at Google. And he says, we want to help people discover, learn about and shop for products that they love. Whether those products come from big box retailers, new direct-to-customer brands or the mum-pop shop down the street. We're supporting an open network of retailers and shoppers to help businesses get discovered and give people more options when they're looking to buy. Two concrete steps we've taken to support discoverability for all merchants are eliminating commission fees and making it free for sellers on Google. To show you the most relevant shopping information, we must have a deep understanding of the products that appear across Google and in the world around us, from images and videos to online reviews and inventory in local stores. That's why today we shed some light on the technology behind our shopping graph, our comprehensive real-time data set about products, inventory and merchants. The shopping graph is a dynamic AI-enhanced model that understands a constantly changing set of products, sellers, brands, reviews, and most importantly, the product information and inventory data we receive from brands and retailers directly, as well as how those attributes relate to one another. With people shopping across Google more than a billion times a day, the shopping graph makes those sessions more helpful by connecting people with over 24 billion listings from millions of merchants across the web. It works in real time so people can discover and shop for products that are available right now. Having a deep understanding of the world's products is just one piece of the puzzle. To help more merchants get discovered, it's important that we support like-minded partners who share in Google's mission to democratize e-commerce. That's why today at Google I.O. we announced that we're expanding our partnership with Shopify, introducing a new simplified process that lets Shopify's 1.7 million merchants feature their products across Google in just a few clicks. This new collaboration with Shopify will enable merchants to become discoverable to high intent consumers <clears throat> across Google search, shopping, YouTube, Google images and more. As we eliminate barriers like fees and improve our technology, we've seen a 70% increase in the size of our product catalogue and an 80% increase in merchants on our platform. But exactly how do these sellers and their products show up across Google? Search, shopping, image search and YouTube are popular ways for people to research and discover products. Today, we announced even more ways to get discovered by people shopping every day. We know it's easy to get inspired by just strolling uh, your neighborhood, browsing a magazine or taking note of something online. That's why we're building new, more integrated shopping experiences to meet you where you already are. 
For instance, one of the most popular ways to take note of things that they like is by taking a screenshot, but it's not always easy to take action on those screenshots afterwards. Now, when you view any screenshot in Google Photos, there will be a suggestion to search the photo with lens, allowing you to see the search results that can help you find that pair of shoes or wallpaper pattern that caught your eye. We also know that shopping isn't always a linear experience. You may open your browser intending to shop, but switch your focus to an email or a news article, or you might not be ready to buy yet. That's why along with other modules in Chrome that help you pick up where you left off, we're introducing a new feature in Chrome that works locally on your device to let you see your open carts and, uh, sorry, to let you see your open carts when you open a new tab. So when you step away or browse on other sites, you can pick up your shopping where you left off. Once you're ready to make a purchase, we want you to make it as easy for you to get the best value for the products that you're buying. Coming soon, we'll let you link your favorite loyalty programs from merchants like Sephora to your Google account to show you the best purchase options across Google, helping brands and their customers foster a stronger, more direct relationship. That's pretty much the announcement. Again, as I said, I'll link to this in the, in, in the show notes. And this is, I think, just another um, link in the chain or several links in the chain around not just the technology Google's been building, but um, positioning themselves in a more competitive stance against Amazon. We've mentioned it a couple of times, I think, on this podcast about how one of Google's biggest competitors is Amazon. Just because a lot of those shopping journeys, when you've got this kind of online superstore Amazon, people are actually skipping Google, they're going straight to Amazon. Um, and part of the reason for this is that there was the, um, there is that breakdown of experience on Google as you're trying to browse products that are listed on separate websites by separate, um, separate brands. Um, and you've got that kind of change in user journey, change in carts. And obviously on Amazon, you've got all of that inventory that's essentially within one user interface, within one payment system. So what Google's been working on to try and level the playing field is bringing all the inventory onto Google. So that's why they've opened up things like the shopping feeds for free um, organically so they can get that data. And then actually trying to make that one payment, that one user interface um, sit together. So where they've talked about the reduction in the, the fees, getting Shopify on board and basically trying to make it that you can browse all of the products on Google, buy from Google and not leave it in a, in a similar way that you can uh, with Amazon. And then, you know, what we're talking about here with the shopping graph is they are kind of flexing all the other technology and data that they've got that Amazon haven't got um, in terms of how to do this intelligently. So super, super interesting. Um, and I think this is gonna link in, as Lily said, to these uh, shopping updates. Have a read through that, look at the examples. Um, again, as, as have been a few things we've talked about on the podcast, like with mum and things like this, definitely one we wanna be thinking about in the long term. And that's everything I've got time for in this episode. I really hope you've enjoyed it. Um, I'll be back in one week's time, of course, which will be Monday, the 28th of June. And until then, I hope you have an absolutely lovely week.